what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mind Podcast, episode number 45. Tonight I'm joined by returning guest, Johnny Vedmore. Johnny is an independent researcher. He has done some stellar work, including articles on Klaus Schwab's family history, which is quite pertinent given how we've just had the annual WEF conference where they literally said that agriculture and fishing should be classed as ecocide and criminalized. And these are the people that we're dealing with. Well, it was Johnny Vedmore who did the research into the man himself, Klaus Schwab, and found that his family had deep, deep links, deep ties to the Nazis. And of course, it makes sense that this is why today we've got the Fourth Reich. We know the Nazis all managed to get high positions in NASA. Many of them went to work for US intelligence. And it seems to me they've set up shop in Europe too at the WEF. So listen, guys, we have to understand that looking back into the past also gives us an insight into the future. And ultimately, that's what we talk about tonight. We talk about big cycles to begin with, big technological cycles, how lots of the things that we're seeing right now, AI, nanotechnology, mRNA vaccines, 3D printing, gene editing, how all of this is happening and it is going to arrive, but not just yet. Not just yet. In fact, what we're seeing right now is mainly smoke, mirrors and psyop to make us believe that it all exists. But actually, it's in the trial phases. It's not coming for quite a while yet. And therefore, the future is probably going to look a lot more like the past than it is the sci-fi films that they keep projecting out to us. So we talk about that in part one. We discuss some of these big cycles. Then we start to talk about some of the research that Johnny has done, what he's learned from that, and how he's learned to be less naive and actually be much more skeptical of all narratives, including the ones that appeal to his and, let's face it, our own proclivities, the ones that tell us that a savior's going to come, that there's a magic acid that's going to make us rich, and on and on it goes, because they ultimately control all narratives, both sides and we have to be extremely good at picking through that. So that leads us nicely into part two where we actually discuss some of the skills of independent research so that we ourselves can take control of information finding and verifying what we're told. And of course, I do this with all of my work. Johnny does it with his, so that's an interesting conversation. So that'll hopefully give members some practical skills that they can take away to become more discerning and to ensure that the information they're getting is correct by giving them the capacity to do some independent research. So I'm going to leave it there for the introduction, everyone. I hope you're all well, healthy, and reasonably happy. And like always, I'll see each and every one of you in the next one. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast. We are here with returning guest, Mr. Johnny Vedmore. 
Johnny's here to join us tonight to discuss the art of investigative journalism. Johnny has a fantastic channel over on YouTube, Rockfin, Rumble, pretty much anywhere you can find independent content. You can search for Newspaste and find Johnny's work. Johnny's done some really big research projects on key names in this global architecture when it comes to the New World Order, if you want to use that term. People like Henry Kissinger, Klaus Schwab, and more recently, another spook called Stanley Pottinger. So we're going to get into all of that. And in part one, we're going to discuss some of Johnny's biggest projects. And then in part two for members, we're going to be discussing some of the techniques of independent research so me and Johnny will have a conversation around that and I think that'll be really useful for listeners because it's never been more important to be able to go onto the internet and do your own research to figure things out for oneself because let's face it if you go to the mainstream you're going to get a pack of lies but before we get into that Johnny just a quick hello how was 2023 for you are you glad to see the back of it and are you excited for 2024? Uh, 2023 has been a a, a, a dumb one for me it's been probably the worst year of my life on record and i've had pretty like heavy years in the past and i i don't i don't like i i never like to um you know whine about these things i always try and be happy with the outlook i think 2024 is going to be amazing if you've had a really bad year you expect to have a at least a, you know some sort of bounce back but i also do think that there's a lot of things happening at the moment which are um sort of depressing people making people doubtful about their futures um scaring people in ways that mean that that in the next few years we're going to see a backlash from a lot of the control mechanisms that are being put in place to crush us in all different areas all different industries all different parts of our society um and all different sectors you know the bigger sectors everything's been being um carefully uh, catalogued everything is being decided where we're going for the future without our uh, say so and i think we're going to see more of that it's going to increase i like using the term exponentially but this is something like technology and other things that you have exponential growth this is something where you see that you know we're heading towards a change in a system that allows authoritarian control at the top and we're all going to have to just accept it and that is going to get faster, quicker and more pronounced over the next few years of, as we hit the end of Agenda 2030, because that's what this is. We're, we're now four years in to uh, what is, you know, um, a project to reform humanity. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that, buddy, that it's not been the best 2023. It probably resonates a lot with listeners, too. It's been a difficult year for many. So I hope 2024 is a better year for you, me and everyone out there. But in terms of the cycles, Johnny, it's really interesting how there's a lot of these cycles that seem to be converging right now. But have you heard of the economic forecaster Kondratiev, Johnny? No, 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 no. I'd be interested to. Nikolai Kondratiev was around during the early part of the 1900s. So he was a Russian economic forecaster and he created this model called the Kondratiev wave theory which tied economic cycles to booms and busts relating to technology and essentially he prophesied that we would go through these long arcs of history where we'd have periods with lots of growth lots of economic development but then also these big secular downturns where we'd have wars and all other kinds of financial crisis 
Now, Stalin wasn't too keen on this guy. You know, the Soviets liked their centrally planned economy. So when they had this guy come along and say, actually, sometimes we have downturns, sometimes we have recessions and depressions. It was like, that don't really fit with our model, sunshine. Uh, and they put him in a gulag and eventually uh, Stalin actually had him killed in the Great Purge. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably what happened. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell Stalin anything without him seeing something negative. That means you have to be sent to a gulag. It's a comedy event. Yeah, so. that's it. That's it. Uh, so, of course, they didn't like him because he was giving uh, theories that meant that they were not omnipotent and that their economic plan and economic model couldn't just see this like kind of hockey stick curve where it only went up. Uh, but he was a bit of a visionary, actually. And like many people around that time, there was another one called Alexander Chivhevsky. He was another brilliant Russian economic and trends forecaster. And he actually looked at the solar cycle. So he said that we go through periods of solar activity we have some shorter cycles over 11 years, but then we have these big, long cycles that play out over hundreds of years, and they profoundly influence human behavior, including our propensity to go to war, to have social revolutions, and they're extremely good in their predictive capacity. The solar cycle, for example, Chivhevsky pointed out that 80% of all wars and social revolutions over the past 2,000 years have happened during the peak of solar cycles, so that's pretty good predictive capacity right there. Now, all of these cycles that I'm looking at, these big cycles that I've got a lot of evidence to show how accurate they are, they're all pointing right now in the same direction, which is towards war and economic crisis. The Kondratiev wave, for example, is showing that we are going into a secular bottom because there is no technology to give us that uplift that we saw, for example, during the 2000s when we had the dot-com boom, the communications boom. Go back before then, of course, we had the electrification. Before that, of course, we had automobiles. And before that, we had railroads. And all of the economic cycles were tied to these big technological booms. Well, we don't have that now. The next one, of course, is the one that they're trying to fast forward, which is automation, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence, pretty much everything that makes up this smart world dystopia that they're trying to take us towards. Now, they're not there yet, and that's the problem. They're trying to fast-forward it, and I think what happened in 2020, I think that was an attempt, a great leap forward, to try and bring about this next economic cycle, this accumulation of capital cycle. And of course, that's going to begin in the East, not the West. But they are attempting to do it, but they're trying to fast-forward these cycles, and that can't be done. The technology isn't there yet. They're not ready yet. We're on the cusp of it, but we've got another 20, 30 years before they really are saturated. So... I think what we're seeing is actually all of the cycles are pointing in the opposite direction. And just like Stalin, they're trying to go the other way. They're trying to say, no, it's not possible. We can keep this system going for longer. We can keep it going forever. But it's not possible, is it, Johnny? The cycles are saying they can't do it. And what we're seeing out in the real world is everything is falling apart, just like the cycles tell us it's going to during these periods of history. No, I, I think that we always think we're going to move faster than we do. And then we never look into the future to work out what faster looks like anyway. So we never really know until we're there. And then we look back and say, oh, it's changed so much in that time. Um, but we're entering a period like we've never seen before where technology that's going to come in is like something we've never seen before. And it's clear that there's certain things that are going to be uh, implemented. So the idea that like we're all going to live in mega cities in five years time, well, that's nuts. But maybe we'll all start living in, start being moved or start seeing the development of mega cities properly in 2040. 
you know, we, we say 15, 20 years, we'll start to see the development increase massively as technology increases to be able to build uh, whatever structures we think are best in the future in a more efficient and quicker way by using robots, AI, uh, other technologies. And so we'll see a faster um like more technology that increases the pace of what we can develop an increase in development but that's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to happen without some sort of crush you've got to crush the people um to say so that they you know the, in a sense problem reaction solution you know you give them all of the the different problems they have the reactions and then you develop the society in exactly the way you want to develop the society and we're approaching that but we, we can see there's certain factors that will allow well will be the horn to signal in this which we're one of the one of them one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse maybe we could call them is um is the introduction of um fifth generation warfare as standard so the decay in information becomes becomes i think probably before a lot of the other because uh, they know what's coming they know as everything and and i think you are fairly right i'm not sure about timelines i i know that that it's like you you go and ask a group of people um uh, a group of major scientists i i had this conversation i can't remember who it was with i wonder if it was with you i don't think it was but i had this conversation about um ai and when AI is going to reach the singularity, you know, or when um, artificial general sort of intelligence comes into being and we're not working upon the artificial narrow intelligence. And, you know, the top 100 scientists, they say 2070 or something like that is likely to be the time that it appears. And, you know, then I'm automatically believing scientists. I don't believe elsewhere. You know, I'm automatically believing this this bulk that is. And then I speak to other people and they're like, you're an idiot. It's right round the corner. I talk to other people and they say, oh, no, it's never going to come. And that says to me that it's not right round the corner. If no one really knows, then it's not right round the corner. But they, the fifth generation warfare allows them to create an infrastructure where you think it's just round the corner all of the time. And and you're fearing all of the time about collapse, about disintegration. And I mean, a lot of the 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 taking us out of our real life and putting us into the digital world was really, I mean, really helps with any agenda of um, controlling the population, controlling the birth rate. And we know that it's roughly like, I think it's something like a population, like a growth rate of like 1.2 or under, you start to see population collapse. So I think that's what they're planning for the future. But what that means then later on, if their plans are right, and I don't want to be like, you know, it's again, so don't shoot the messenger on this for anybody listening. Um, I don't want to see population collapse. But if they want to see population collapse and say 10% of the current population of the world uh, exist in, in, say, 30, 40, 50 years time, see a complete reduction in humanity, then you will need less things. If you already have the technology, then you will need less things. You will need to reduce society. You will need to see decay. So maybe that decay that we're seeing in all different parts of uh, infrastructure around the world is going to happen simply because it's uh, this one thing means all of the rest has to happen. So it's all been planned mapped out and is expected so all we're seeing is what is expected 
And what is expected is, yeah, it, I, I think every part of our society is coming under attack now. And you see kids switching off in a way that I've never seen before. Um, They're really intelligent. They're really savvy. They're really switched on. They have no trust in the the generations above them, and they have had all of their skills taken away from them systematically, or the ability to gain those skills systematically taken away from them. So they're all sitting there, staring at their phone, wondering what the hell they they're meant to do. That is just like, a, however much the the or anybody who you could describe as overlords um, that want it to happen eventually, that leads to some sort of revolution. So I, I think with all of this comes the potential for some uh, manipulated warfare scenario and all of the old tricks in the book. Because we look back at the past and we see World War One and World War Two and say, oh, never again. We'll never do that again. We'll never. While doing exactly the same things that sparked World War One and World War Two every day, all of the intelligence agencies are doing terrible things, manipulating. You know, someone's you, you could easily say that an intelligence agent is uh, is popping somebody uh, once every hour somewhere around in the world you know you could you could make some sort of like uh, and and all of these things all of these things that are happening all of these uh, bits of society being manipulated could cause revolt somewhere that leads to inspire other people and they know this so disintegration has to be slow and it has to be without you noticing it has to be creeping like uh, 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 like fabianism or 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 just you know how i think that's what klaus schwab and the fourth industrial revolution and all of this stuff people like uh switching on to it in 2020 but klaus schwab was planning this in 1967 1968 1969 so all of this that he's been like part of creating like whatever has been influenced by him has isn't just from when it was relaunched and relaunched and relaunched to see when it like causes a spark and everybody gets on board because at some point once they crush every single part of society they'll say jump and you'll say how high that's the way humanity is if they got the food they got the resources we end up going along these routes and and yeah i when if i would to say your idea of of uh, when this would happen i can only or, or what was the idea of how quickly this will disintegrate I think that that we always expect it to be round the corner because they want us to expect it to be round the corner. And then that stops us looking at what we can do in the here and now to change things because we're like, oh, we, we just accept that it's almost there. But then in a year, it'll also be almost there. And another year, it'll all be, and it'll keep going because it'll always be almost there because their plans get refined and added to as it goes along. So you're constantly catching up. There's no... Um, I'm not sure if there's solutions out of this. There's ways to limit the damage from whatever they're planning next. Um, but it is, it's a, it's something that I think is going to take probably 40, 50 years to really say, okay, we're in that thing that they're imagining right now. 
you know we're in that the mega cities have risen london is a a teal run uh teal corporation run mega city or you know one of these sort of things that you start to see people um and 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 you, we're already seeing it so the, the policies that you need to gain uh to, to get to that place means that you need to the problem of overpopulation in big cities to increase the size of big cities and increase development and for that you need to um basically push people in from the countryside and keep and we see what they're doing you know all the esg sustainable development goals and all of these things will be there to mean that suddenly there's ownership over the land in different ways and they'll push us into cities push us into cities then they can control everything much easier so you know it how fast they go is it it's going to seem like snail pace to the people living it and it's going to feel too quick for like every five years when we look back we're going to realize oh we did really go far but to get to this big stage later on it, you've got to go through you basically got to deplete society <laughs> yet have enough workers to create the technology and design the infrastructure for the next step so i'm 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 not sure i'd say i'd say 40, 50 years, um, and their plan will be fully cooked, but a new plan will have taken over. Yeah, well, I think there's good reason to believe that a lot of what we're seeing now is all smoke and mirrors and psyop. That's why they have to have so many people out there that are pushing these narratives. We need uh, Boston Dynamics or Elon Musk showing us a monkey with a brain chip in playing ping pong, which is clearly just a video that's being recorded. You know, all of this is to trick us into believing that the future they're trying to bring about is already here. And of course, they're desperately scrambling to try and get some of these technologies up and running. You know, that's what Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies were all about, getting the private sector to create blockchain, to create smart contracts and all the rest of it so that people are actually willingly going into this future because they think there's some kind of solid foundation there, but there isn't. I think a lot of this is just not going to happen for a long, long time yet. And therefore, what we're actually going to see is a period of decay and decline, a period of war, a period of social upheaval, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And it's probably going to look a lot more like the past, and I'm talking about times like the Great Depression, than it is the future, the sci-fi that they give us. The sci-fi will exist, but for now, I think it will remain only existing inside of screens, inside of videos that they've created to try and make us believe that this future is upon us. And they need us to believe this because there's a power vacuum going on right now. The old system's dying and the new system doesn't exist. So I just think there's an awful lot of manipulation and trickery going on right now. But if you go outside, things actually look like they're in a state of terminal decline. In fact, it looks like the West is going through an economic and social collapse so I don't think we're going to be seeing these smart cities for some time yet. They might exist if they succeed, but there's many hurdles to get through. And for now, most of what people imagine is possible is actually only possible in their imagination. That's my take on it for now, Johnny. Okay, I, I, there's a few things about like um, the few. If if we're going to be uh, if things go quicker, if if we're wrong and things move at a quicker pace and they want to push people into cities and they want to do this really quickly if they've got a, a real then they know it'll cause chaos and that'll help in 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 get their goals you know get into their goals and 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 there will be wars and that'll reduce population in different ways and they can spread diseases easy if they can if if they want to do all of that then what does that mean 
for for us because people who will say okay we've got to be in a better situation to be able to handle those times well what's a better situation it becomes a bit potluck then if you live out in the countryside you've got your own place to protect but you could be uh, at risk to a mob if you're in the city you're definitely at risk to a mob but you become the mob very quickly and you have your own little community areas and you have a hierarchy that works upon there if there's a collapse of society if there's an economic collapse what does that mean for people living in cities i mean they're going to rip each other apart a lot of people are going to rip each other apart and and they're going to go to the countryside to look for people who have got some stuff left because if there's nothing left in the city they're going to move to the they're going to go to look for the so so the whole the whole collapse that whole collapse they they can't allow it to happen they have to give you some option and they want that collapse i i i felt that they wanted to uh i mean the, the whole um cbdc's they would be impossible to introduce in the current climate um they you would have to be left with no other option so that suggests if they're developing that then they're getting ready to leave you with no other option you know they're getting ready to get to that that makes complete sense that makes complete sense and you know, I don't know if I've ever asked you about this, Johnny, but I'd love to get your take on it. I've been asking a lot of people recently because it's a golden calf and I think we need to get rid of the golden calves and actually start talking reality. And people don't like that all the time, particularly if it's something that they've become ideologically attached to. But what's your take on Bitcoin? Because that's a very interesting one, isn't it? It came out of nowhere. It started this whole wave of mass development into a space where nobody was looking at and now the whole world knows about it we've got blockchain technology they're talking about tokenization of all assets everywhere tokenizations of human beings even and you know discussing these long acts of history and their drive to try and get these technologies up and running as fast as possible so they can implement their new system it just seems awfully apt to me that it came along at the perfect time just as the old financial system was dying it came along just after the uh, gfc and now all of a sudden we've had huge development and the whole world's excited about it because of course of bitcoin it gave them some of those fiat money notes and of course it was branded very well as the rebel asset but all of my research into it it just keeps bringing up intelligence so i'm certainly not somebody who thinks it's here to save the world but i do think it has served a great purpose for them but i'd love to get your take on it johnny you're a very smart guy so. oh you 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 you're very kind it makes me think of um i don't know if i've ever discussed uh david shaw with you have i ever discussed david shaw and the rise of jeff bezos well, Je Jeff Bezos, everybody knows quite well, and I, I, I went, I went back in in time to um, Hedda Pedersen in Norway <laughs> in in the seventeen hundreds, who's one of uh Jeff Bezos' ancient relatives. They look like Bezos as well. It's really weird, uh, and I, I went through time trying to search for the thing that made Bezos Bezos, like I like I do, and I got to the eighties. Um, and looking at his life when he's leaving university and he's going off to um, uh, um, find a, a, a work and he gets a little bit of work, but then he ends up getting recruited by a guy called David Shaw. And David Shaw, um, D.E. Shaw, is one of the biggest uh, firms in the world dealing in um, financial stuff. I don't know how to describe it. Let me explain. They were the first people to use computer modeling 
to work out the financial systems and the ups and downs. And D.E. Shaw knew what was coming next before anybody else knew it was coming. If you listen to, if you read articles about David Shaw and D.E. Shaw in the late 80s and early 90s, they're like normal trading room floors. There's people all busy shouting, screaming at each other. Everything's hectic, frantic. Everything's the end of the world. They were, ah, everything. That's what the financial institutions of that period looked like. Just people, headless chickens, screaming, holding bits of paper and screaming into telephones you know that is the financial in no d sure quiet rooms people talking whispering to each other watching screens and it was first time that they were like really a financial institution they were really like modeling where the markets were going and this brought in loads of money for sure he had a really interesting way he had worked out that this was the next step Computer modeling was the next step. And he had worked out another thing that Usenet, the kind of precursor to the internet that was based within institutions, everybody used their own uh, email addresses uh, or mail addresses, handles as uh, ways to communicate. And they used their own names and their own institutions. Everybody knew who was saying what on Usenet. It was the internet, but no anonymity. So everybody was talking about loads of different stuff. And if you were on Usenet, you knew loads of secrets. You knew what was coming next. The internet got announced on Usenet by Tim Berners-Lee. You know, it was the place where you learned about what was to come next. And D. Shaw knew so much. He had been teaching. I can't remember where he'd been teaching. Uh, it was one of the, the real big universities. Might have been... Uh, it's not Stanford. It's one of oh god, it's so annoying. Um, but he was teaching in one of the um uh big universities, and it's gonna come to me later. Oh, I hate forgetting things. Um, and he had been basically I, I think someone came to him and said to David Shaw, um, do something with your knowledge. So he was uh studying something like computational or teaching computational physics, something along those lines, went off. 1986 created D.E. Shaw uh, in a little uh, upstairs from a in a communist bookshop uh, and they created this financial um, Goliath by the late 90s I think it's mid to late 90s um, it was something like they had like five or ten percent of the New York Stock Exchange was D.E. Shaw you know it's uh, Goliath. They knew everything that was going on and they recruited people by going and finding the best people, getting them in, interviewing them, and then deciding what role they should do once they've interviewed them. They didn't need to give them a role. They didn't need to be interviewed for a role. They would decide where would be best suited for their skills. And they brought in Jeff Bezos. They brought in Hazley Minor. Uh, as well and jeff bezos and hazley minor worked together very closely in de shaw and in 19 was it 1992 or 1993 uh jeff bezos uh left de shaw and set up amazon now the backstory for jeff bezos what i looked into was him selling books at the back of his car is like used station wagon with his wife going around there and they got boxes and like would you like any books and then oh we're doing it online and we'll just drive across the country yeah it's, it's always just the story it's always it's the same with yeah. gates wasn't it it was like oh just this young 
Young genius. Yeah. No, Bill no Gates. genius in Jeff Bezos. I tell you. Well, no genius, but no, no, no genius in that way. No sudden genius. Like, oh, we come out of nowhere. No, he was the vice president of DE Shaw by the time he left to set up Amazon in actual fact. Um, at that point, I think just at the moment he left, he had been acting president. So taken over for DE Shaw himself. So that's how high he was. And he came to DE Shaw and he apparently he said, Oh, I'm thinking about setting up Amazon. Uh, and he went, Oh, I took I don't want anything to do with it. You go off and do it by yourself. But in actual fact, what had been happening, and his his partner at the company, like the person he was partnered up with, with a lot of the um uh uh programs that were running at D Shaw, really uh complicated sort of like um no, it sounds it's like things that university students do in Freshers Week. You've got a box and you've got to do something with it that does this or that or the other. They were putting them into rooms and making them do the impossible and getting them work together. Well, him and Hazley Minor, Hazley Minor um, created download.com. So CNET, straight away, DE Shaw, cornered the market. Hey, you want to download any software? The majority of it's going to go through there. You want, you want to buy anything on like the majority of it's going to go through Amazon. They seeded their guys. They knew what was happening beforehand. They saw it well in the future. In 1986, they're setting up in a uh, upstairs from a communist bookshop, ready to be one of the big. They're going to co-opt. They know the internet's coming, and they're going to co-opt it beforehand. They're going to like work it through, get the best people to work it through, and work out what comes next so that they can be years ahead because they didn't only work out oh the internet's going to be that it's going to be the right time in like 1993 1994 1995 they and, and think bezos is then um the richest uh, uh man uh in technology or on in on, in the digital world by 1999 he's on the front of time magazine and he's uh um doing business with um Sotheby's auction house uh we were well, all the Epstein crew are there as well. That's a, that's, that was an interesting link to find. He's actually got one or two links with Epstein and Maxwell along the way, but they're hidden in the background. Bezos wants to be a cool... Uh, I think he wants to be like in the espionage club, but he's a bit of a, a, a doofus, and he looks really strange, and he's one of the richest men in the world. So it doesn't work out well for him because he doesn't understand people. I don't think he relates to people very well. He's, yeah, I think he's a little bit on the spectrum, maybe, uh, by what I've I've worked out. His wife was actually uh, with him at DE Shaw as well, <clears throat> so she's another one who was uh, who was very, very very intelligent. Now they they th- these type of places, places like DE Shaw. Uh, decide the world that we have now they knew that would be we taking control of the majority of the market um uh, by uh we can forecast how much of that market we're going to keep in that many years and it's we're going to rise and basically amazon will become the biggest trader out there uh in the world and that's what we want to do so that's what we'll do there jeff you go do that and that's what they already said. And it, that was, I, I thought it was good to explain because that's the way they do things. They do things so far in advance. Yeah, and sorry for interrupting, Johnny. But, you know, if you look back, this is how they've always been. They have their agents and they give them an unlimited budget and they get to play mm-hmm. the richest man on earth. That's what Gates gets to play. That's who Musk gets to play. That's who Bezos gets to play. But they're not the guys. They're just getting paid to enact the agenda. They've all got a purpose and a role. There is no way that they would spend their time being constant publicists when they could just retire and live in one of their 
thousands of mansions. It's like a game, isn't it? They've got an unlimited credit card. They have to go out, do these things, but ultimately, it's all part of the show. Yeah, and the backstory of of um, Bitcoin uh, is just is just ridiculous. To be honest, this this guy who's like invents it and remains anonymous and hidden out in the background. I can't remember. What... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a, a, a complete. Um, uh, it's a construct. You can you can smell it. It's funny. Um, uh, yet yeah, loads of people have who like Bitcoin, who love Bitcoin, and they make a lot of money from it. You know, the, the it's a really strange thing. I've met some people who are in cryptocurrency who are um, just sorry. Sorry, there was that alarm going. I met some uh, uh, people who um, are into crypto who just seem like they're hypnotized. It looks like they, they just can't see anything else. Um, they can't understand it. They're just focused on sell Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin all the time. They don't look at what it, you know, the infrastructure. When you look at things like uh, things like uh, there's there's other. I mean, we we all your audience is pretty financially savvy, but things like Tether and stuff, uh, you you start to get into uh, intelligence links. And you know that there's a lot of money swilling around in these pits that are used to fund nefarious businesses for the rich or nefarious um, operations for the rich. So it makes sense that they have these like tools to have anonymous uh, transactions and it doesn't seem to be stopped or touched. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm pretty positive they're going to ban these things eventually. I think things that are free like that and seem open just seem like there are a lot of money ready to just take away all of a sudden. Um, and the volatility on, on some of it is just a bit mad. I mean, if you suddenly, uh, it, if they put a bit of pressure, they just, when I was, I, and I've stopped dealing in crypto for for this reason but and for the reason i don't have much money <laughs> but it, when i when i could deal in a little bit of crypto what i noticed was every time that the crypto went down it was because they said the weakest little bit of news online and the people who are invested in crypto think they know what they're doing until they see a tiny little bit of news panic watch the money go rah, 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 rah. you know they're the least savvy investors so you've got a system that's created on the least savvy investors seem like the most likely to collapse eventually <laughs> you're totally right you're totally right it is the least savvy investors out there that are speculating on these things in fact you can't even call it investing it's a form of rolling dice in an alley it's a form of craps at the uh, casino it's gambling and it doesn't mean you can't earn a lot of money gambling. There's, you know, there's people who go to casinos and can card count and they can earn a lot of money. And there's professional poker players. So you can earn money gambling, but most people are not. So these people are being set up to be the bag holders without a doubt that's happening. You can see the big mainstream push now behind these assets, yeah. which really does show us that if it was a rebel asset, if it was going to bring down the system, you wouldn't be seeing it on Wall Street, my friend. <laughs> that's never happened in history. If they want to shut something down, they can shut it down. Mm -hmm. It's not that difficult to do. They could just make laws or legislation to make it impossible to use. In fact, what they're doing is embracing it. So we have to be prepared for these tricks, these manipulations. They're going to come again and again, and they're going to try and get us to willingly push forward their system rather 
then go back to systems that will be truly beneficial for humankind, that will truly give us independence. I mean, there's even articles in the media now saying that growing your own food in the garden is toxic, that having plants in the back garden is environmentally dangerous. They even said at the WEF this year that farming and fishing is ecocide. You know, we're dealing with psychopaths here, so they are going to be extremely deceptive and manipulative. But a lot of people don't want to hear that because they, uh, you know, they're too busy chasing the money, unfortunately. And that's a part of the Bitcoin problem. Well, who, who's who got control of all the sand? Who's going to make your sandcastle and then come along and say, oh, yeah, well, I own all that sand. Let's see how good it looks after I've taken it all. Because, they, you know, they can do that. They can swallow. They've got the resources um, to, uh, even if they don't actually do it, to look like they do, you know, create um, funds in whatever way they need to buy as much Bitcoin as possible that they could just then pick out all at once and you see everybody panic and run and then it'll be you know a defunct system that no one trusts again this is the kind of thing they like to build and then they like to be in control of what the system is i mean their ideas of of cbdc's and stuff is like what is crypto with authoritarian twists and them drooling at the idea of oh we'll be able to cut you off here and cut you off there and limit you here and say you can only save up to twenty thousand. you know you'll own nothing and be happy stuff starts to make sense when they're introducing these but they introduce it and everybody goes oh my god i wouldn't want that so then you'll see other things you'd be like oh I'll, i'll go with that instead and it'll be the way that they'll take all your money from you it'll be their own solution that they've put there in front of you for the 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 coming problem that you're going to react to (laughs) yeah exactly exactly buddy what the setup is here is that they want to be able to take everything all at once and ensure that people have nothing left so therefore you know to have something like a digital cryptocurrency that they can either manipulate from the outside or simply have a back door into it because they're created. And we don't know that, but there are potential uh, avenues they could have done that with. Quantum computing is one to think about too. But whichever way we look at it, clearly they're embracing it and they're planning to take everything all at once. Now, the only way out of that is to go to decentralized systems, not digital systems, real decentralization, which is, of course, going back to nature and having things at home, things that you can actually have true ownership of that exist in the physical reality. You know, I think there's just a big naivety out there amongst the general populace, including the people who are freedom loving and are trying to push back. There's just a big naivety as to how the whole system works. What we see is all theater. And beneath that, there is an extreme level of deception. And the narratives have many, many layers, very, very complex. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show, Johnny, because you've done that research, you've looked behind the curtain. So I want to ask you about it. One thing that affected me for years and years really affected me, made me dumb. I was a, I was full hundred percent. I mean, even now, I, I'm, I'm like maybe twenty five, thirty percent sheeple. You know, I'm, I, I can't help it. We all can't help it. At times, we want to follow the herd here or follow the herd there. We want to believe in this or we want to believe in that. But one time, I was like, um, uh, completely a hundred percent in, in, um, in there, and I was scared to my what makes it different now what i define that as what what was maybe the the thing that changed it is that getting over that feeling of being wrong looking at something 
going to search for something that you know you'll be wrong about. And loads of people, I know, I know it sounds like lately, loads of people ashamed of that, keep that to themselves, but do it regularly, that they come across something that is going to advance their knowledge. And they like have a sense, they don't even have to think about it fully. They have a sense that they don't want to look any further into that. And they're just like, nah, I better not. And we do that really regularly when we're stuck in a world where we've got loads of stress. And if we add a little bit more stress or 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 start to break a paradigm here or a paradigm there, our brain knows to protect ourselves in advance. Our brain's already calculating behind the scenes. And I like I had to get over that feeling of not wanting. I mean, that changed my life in that sense because I went on to do completely the opposite now i verify and check every single dot on every single i or lowercase j i'm 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 like uh, look at everything to try and get the best broadest most objective view it's the most unpopular thing to do as well is to be objective you go i i if i want to be a journalist somewhere um and i want to be employed i've got to have uh, like my own belief has to be aligned with that outlet. I'm not allowed to be objective anymore. I'm not allowed to to find uh, problems in the left and the left wing paper or problems in the right and the right wing paper. You know, it, it, you could take it down to that base. You've got to find, you know, it, it's a checking things, just verifying things. There's so much of us that, that, that are scared of doing that. And that's what separates the sheeple from real humans who can make their own rational decisions is going to check the information yourself and not just trusting. Like some people I, I'd say that to in the past and they'd say, Oh, I do. I, I, I go to um, the internet and I type it in. And one of the first like five different like things I see, I'm like, Oh, all right then. Oh, I've just proven my point. I just look these top five and, and then, you know, you have to explain to people a load of different stuff to get them to another place so that they'll actually say, oh, well, I'm not going to bother looking at the top five results because I know they're paid to be there and I can't trust them. I'm going to go and look at something over here or something over there. And I think it's just breaking that sort of like fear of the unknown, fear of the unknown mixed with fear of being wrong. Um, and we all have it and it's really natural, but the majority of us are too ashamed, I think, to talk about our own fear of being wrong. And we ourselves are often psychologically blocked to be able to to express that out to other people because we we would have to then be admitting a lot to ourselves. And if we said it to someone who wants us to be wrong about something, then they're going to be able to say, well, you're wrong about this because you're wrong at times you've admitted it you've admitted your weakness you've got to crack in your armor and now anything that i do wrong is your fault because you're wrong i and you you, you then see the the how that can be like projected back at you as a, a evil way just being able to be vulnerable within thought within ideology is the only way to advance yourself yeah, well, this is about honesty with yourself as well, isn't it? It's about being honest with yourself. And, you know, I had a few people leave my platform, leave my um, Patreon, leave my YouTube channel because I had a differing opinion, a differing opinion on Bitcoin. Or I just put forward a different opinion. And those people didn't like it because they want to be reassured. They want somebody to continually reaffirm what they think is true. And that comes from a place of insecurity when actually what we should be doing, what I'm always looking to do is to hear 
opinions that are completely different to my own particularly if I'm going to invest my money in something. If I'm investing my money in something, I want to hear the most skeptical take possible because I want to know if I'm making a silly decision and I want people to challenge my decision with their skeptical take, at least psychologically challenge me. So then I can dot all of the I's and cross the T's. I can go through it and say, oh, well, I never realized that could be possible or that's something that I never thought about. And that can change my risk assessment. And I want that Throughout my life, I want to hear different opinions, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then I can make better decisions. But what I don't want to do is silence opposing views and opinions, because if I do that, then I'm going to be blinded by my own uh, my own psychological quirks or my own desires and greed and lust and all of those things. So we have to be honest with ourselves. It's about intellectual honesty and it's about wanting to progress and also embracing differing opinions so long as they're presented properly and in a way that's critical you know not just shouting someone down but actually saying oh look I've actually got a good reason for thinking this as well and here's the evidence you know that should be embraced by all of us right it's really really frustrating though um I I know I as a musician it was frustrating as well I um when Trump was going for office I wrote a song uh called dump the chump and it was basically the video was uh basically the sort of um uh they live pictures of people who are famous just flashing around and obeying etc including trump and stuff you know and it was just basic it was um dump the chump with the massive rump but it was taking the piss out of like golden waterfalls universal fraud he should deep in putin's balls impeach the president it was like that, that, that and it's over the top and it's silly because that's the circus event that was happening but you can't support it if you're a trump fan because I'm saying they're all the same anyway. And you can't support if you're a Democrat because, you know, I'm taking the piss out of what they're doing. So no one's going to support it anyway. <laughs> no one's, even the content of the music, it doesn't make any difference. When you, in years to come, I mean, a lot of culture that is now will be judged historically. And it'll be years to come that people look back and go, oh, look at that happening during that time. And they knew, they knew while everybody else didn't know, it's not good, you know. Or they realized that it's all the circus and it was all this, that, the other. It's like, you know, a lot of it is... Yeah, and it is a circus. That's exactly right. It's one big circus and there is a ringmaster hiding behind the curtain and they lead the entire show. And we have to not fall into the trap of believing that what we're being shown is real. Now, some of the outcomes that transpire because of the events that we see are real. So that's where the reality seeps in. But it's all orchestrated and all of the characters are pre-planned. And most of the narratives that exist in the world today were thought up long, long ago in some dark, dingy room. I can guarantee it. In fact, if you look at the research and go back through history and research different periods, that is exactly what you find. And that's one of the reasons why I made this podcast. And listen, we all do it. We all fall for the hero archetype at times, or we want a savior to come along. And they know this. They know that that's what we're craving. And that is why they give us them. Or in the very least, they co-opt to them. They bring them aboard with promise of money or just blackmail, let's face it. A lot of these people that we see have got a whole dossier of blackmail on them. And that's just the way it works. Mm -hmm. So we have to be naturally skeptical of anything that comes from the mainstream, anything that's embraced by the mainstream, anything we see on TV, anything we see pushed 
on social media. We have to be skeptical. And then what we have to do is go away and do that independent research. And that's not easy. It requires us to do a bit of work. We have to go away and do the research ourselves. We have to take what we're given from the mainstream and then put it through some filters. And those filters are independent research. You know, go away and look into the backstory of these characters that they put forward into Elon Musk or Donald Trump. Look at who they were associated with. Look into what they've done in the past. Look into the things that they don't want you to look at. The same with asset classes or, you know, that's one of the things I do as an investor. I research the hell out of things because I don't want to lose money. You know, I don't want to lose money for my family. I don't want to end up in poverty where I can't afford to pay the bills. So I do extensive research. But what I never do is fall into the trap of just taking a story and believing a utopian story, a Jesus Christ-like story, um, Satoshi Nakamoto or whoever it is these silly stories that are given to us to play on our deep yearning to have easy wins, easy wins in life where we just sit back, feed up, and that's it. That's all we have to do. And everything's true and uh, we're going to succeed. We've got all of the skills already within us. We don't have to research and it's fine. So that research component to me is a critical part of life now, particularly as the lies and lies get more sophisticated and the much harder to discern. And like I said, the internet's disappearing. They're taking down websites, they're censoring everything. It's so hard to find true information that having research skills and going out and doing that is, for me, it's becoming a survival skill. Without it, you are going to get tricked at some point and you might, you might wind up with the rest of the masses as the great takings happen or you fall for the uh, antichrist hero that they're going to bring along at some point. We know it's coming. So you have to have to uh, at least start t making efforts to do this research for yourself or finding good researchers to uh, to point you in the right direction at least. But even then, you still need to verify. Oh, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting because I've been doing the Searching for Stanley documentary. So I've been uh, focusing in one episode is a certain event in time. Um, and all of the events, when I first started researching them for Pottinger um, identity, none of them, all of them were like, uh, I thought I knew. I thought I knew about Watergate. I thought I knew about Martin Luther King. I thought I knew about uh, um, Kent State. I thought I knew about uh, Gloria Steinem or Orlando Letelier by a little bit of research I've already done for the article even. I, you know, I, I, I learned about it and I go, well, now I know everything about it. And there's layers, layers and layers and layers of that. Layers and layers. And so what I've, on a couple of the episodes, I've sat down, gathered all of the information. I've put it all together in an order that makes sense. I've edited it, put the uh, music on. I've made the music. I made it specially for the things. I've tried to, to incorporate nicely, did all the text, all the things. Get to the end and say, no, no, no. Now that I've put it all together, I know more about the subject. And now I don't like how it's gone because... I think I'm not telling the exact story. So like recently that like one, one that I'm just finishing off the credits to now um, on Kent state, I finished the Kent state one. I sat down and watched it after I'd done the rest of them and was like, Oh, bollocks. I hate this now. I just, it just doesn't get the feeling. doesn't get the vibe. The energy's lost. And there was so much energy in Kent state. I mean, it was 
eerie, scary, these weird marches of the National Guard across the lawns at Kent State University, up the hill, back down again, weird formations marching down in a line, marching across as a front, while all of these like group of students who are quite young don't do that much, but just like wave their banners and go, strike, 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 and etc. And you, you, you know, I wanted that that feeling. I wanted that. I found I had to um, got to the end and I looked at it and I said, you know, I know so much more about this now that I can go and look for the next layer. So I went and I researched for all of the videos. I went researched all of the content I could use and I found a load of extra stuff and loads of like really unique stuff that explained the story much better than I had originally done, which was like base level. Because every time you explain the same story, you get better and better at explaining it and you understand it more yourself that you can streamline it and fit in more information and this has been like kent state was like that for me we're doing the kent state one doing wounded knee um the wounded knee standoff at wounded knee that happened in 1973 that that one you know that another one gloria steinem got to the end of that for done it done it done it for sure and then in flux of information rare stuff hidden away stuff that hasn't been bought out of the broom closet for 25 30 years loads of it all over the place all of a sudden because once i had i had i had uh like built the first image and showed it there was someone who went oh my god i can improve that image and they came and said to me oh i i love what you're doing I've got all of this information and it goes like, it's like that. It's like that. You, you just keep building and building. The more you talk about something, the more you discuss, the more you research and the layers and layers of it, it happen. It can happen all of a sudden. So for that, it's like, it takes a, a day for me to do the bulk of an editing on um, one of these things. Uh, like the bulk, it's more than a day. So probably two days. Um, and then all of the other little bits can take three days an episode. Like it seems it's about four or five days for an entire episode, including making the soundtrack on a synth, which is quite good for a 25 minute episode, one person doing it all alone. But in that time, I'm learning so much about the subject. I'm watching all of the, the, the content I can. I'm, I'm, I get to a point where I'm just bringing it in that, that even when I get to the end now, I'll understand another layer again. You know, uh, I'll I'll understand it from another another level that I can then go and and research. It, you know, it's layers and layers of knowledge make up a subject. Layers of it, and the more you learn, the more you realize you need to learn to understand it. It just keeps going. Now, a lot of what you're saying, Johnny, really resonates with me as somebody who does a lot of research as well. It's really difficult. And, you know, you get asked to go on shows to talk about something that you're still in the middle of researching. And it can be very challenging because sometimes you look back and think, God, I was I was speaking about that on that show, but I know so much more about it now. And I wish I could redo the interview because it's an ever evolving process research and you can get things wrong. And I'm going to leave it there for part one, Johnny, because I think we've covered a lot in part one, but there's so much more I want to get into in part two. I really want to give listeners an understanding of how this research is done. So I want to talk about some of the techniques that we use. And I think one of the things that I really want to open with in part two is probably 
Have you ever got something wrong? Have you ever had to retract something? Have you ever been led down a path? Have you ever been manipulated by someone else to put out something that's wrong? I think that's a really important question to get into. So before we go, Johnny, I just want to say a big thanks for joining us on the show again. I'm a huge fan of your work and I recommend listeners go and check out Johnny's most recent documentaries on the Pottinger Affair. Johnny does some stellar work over there on his YouTube channel, but you can also find him on Rockfin. And yeah, big thank you, Johnny, for joining us on the show and uh, look forward to speaking to you again in part two. And for listeners, I'm going to put Johnny's links in the description so you can find them there and go check out his awesome work. Members, please head over to parallelmike.com to listen to the full episode. We've got so much more to get into in part two and I'm hoping to make that more of a practical session so we can actually give some skills out and tell you how we do our research, some of the tricks of the trade. And I think this is much needed. I think this is going to help you remove some of the naivety that we all have when we get given these archetypes. How can we then go away and do our independent research to find out if what somebody is telling us is true or false? And, you know, since I started doing my channel, I have released a lot of things that haven't been released elsewhere. And it's all down to that ability to do independent research. So I'm going to leave it there for part one, everyone. Just a reminder, I am available for one-to-one wealth preservation consultations. And for people who really want to get to grips with learning how to manage wealth, their own family's wealth, how to invest, how to protect their pensions, their property, going into the great taking, and how to take advantage of the many opportunities that will arise along the way as we go towards this reset, I am also doing group coaching again in February. So if you'd like to learn more about that, you can reach out to me at Podcast at protonmail.com. And for one-to-one wealth, preservation consultations just check out my website parallelmike.com in closing hope you're all well healthy and reasonably happy and like always i'll see each and every one of you in the next one what you are basic Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence.
the fabric and structure of existence itself. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace in our time. Peace in all time.